Well, good morning, Anthem. My name is Matt. I'm the pastor for teaching and equipping. And this morning, we're going to be in Acts 9. We're continuing our series in Acts. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts 9, uh, starting in verse 19. And and as you do so, uh, this morning, we're going to be, by the end of today's passage, the church in Acts is going to be spreading throughout Judea and Samaria. And, And that's significant Because at the beginning of Acts, in Acts 1-8, Jesus sent out the church, saying to multiply into Judea, from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. So in other words, what's happening today is it's beginning to happen. The church is beginning to spread, and that's significant. But what's even more significant, perhaps, is that it says in verse 31 that the church had peace and was being built up. See, in other words, as the church is in this pivotal place in its history where it's getting ready not just to spread regionally, but now to spread throughout the entire world, it, the Bible is not just about numbers. It's not just about size. It's not just about growth, but it's also about health. That these churches, as they were multiplying, were multiplying in a healthy way. And I think that I don't know about you, but often I I pit those two against one another. Multiplication on one hand and growth, and and on the other hand, health. Uh, As if if, if you have multiplication, then you can't have health. But if you have health in a church, then you can't have multiplication. But in fact, biblically, we we see that that's not the case. In fact, biblically, uh, health and multiplication could be said to be two sides of the same coin, that healthy things grow. And so there isn't this idea that they're pitted against one another. And and here's why I think that this is such an important truth to be looking at today. I think that as we come out of this pandemic, that there are going to be many who are going to be coming into the church. This is something we've been praying about as a staff. This is something we've been praying about in our connection groups. This is something we've been looking at for a while, expecting the Lord. We've been using this language of what if the Lord were to bring 1% of Columbia through the doors of Anthem so they might be discipled and know, love, and obey Jesus. And, and we believe that God is still doing that work. And he's doing it in ways we might not have expected, but yet he is doing that. And so the question becomes, after this pandemic, and as folks are seeking for answers, and they're coming into our doors, the question becomes, how can we be a healthy church for that growth to take place? How can we become individuals who are healthy, a church who is healthy, so that when they come through our doors, when they come into our midst, and we grow, and we multiply, that Anthem is a healthy place where discipleship is happening. Well, at the end of this passage, there's a summary statement down in verse 31. Again, Acts 9, down in verse 31, the last sentence says this, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. In some ways, I think that this, what this does is this encapsulates what happens in the passage we're going to walk through today. And this is kind of a summary statement. And, and here we almost get like a recipe a recipe for healthy growth. And that, that recipe looks like this. When you add in walking in the fear of the Lord plus walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what you get is healthy multiplication. That's whether it's in our individual lives, that's whether it's in our lives as a church. 
But if we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we will not just experience growth, but healthy growth. But how did the church begin to experience these realities? How do we begin to experience these realities? Fear of the Lord, comfort of the Holy Spirit, how do we get these? Well, the church has just seen its greatest persecutor come to Christ in Saul. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the example of Saul because instead of it seemed like the church had been taught these things, it seemed like they actually caught these realities through his example. And so today we're going to go back, we're going to walk through this passage starting in verse 19. We're going to see how through Saul's example, they learned to fear the Lord and then also walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit so that the church would multiply in a healthy way. But first, before we jump in, let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that during times like this, Lord, that um, we can come to your word and see what it looks like for not only our lives, but the church to multiply and to be healthy. And Lord, we know that you're sovereign over all things. Lord, we know that these things are occurring because you want, in some way, it connects with your desire to see the gospel to go forward and for many to come to know Christ. And so, Lord, I ask that this morning as we look at this passage that we would, your spirit would work in our hearts and, Lord, we would realize and see where these truths need to go deeper down. And, Lord, that as that happens, we would become a healthier church a healthier church where growth can occur. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, fear of the Lord. Look at verses 19 through 22. It says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This he is Saul. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. See, again, this is Saul, uh, also known as later Paul the Apostle. Just to clean that up in case anyone's wondering, who's this Saul guy? This is Saul who will later, his name will be changed to Paul. And this is Paul the Apostle. Uh, when my wife and I, when we, our son, we were thinking about what, uh, how to, uh, or what to name him, I actually joked with her. I was like, we should name him Saul. And then when he grows up and proves himself, then we can change his name to Paul. Uh, my wife wisely shut that down. Uh, but his name is Saul. He's not been, it's not been changed to Paul yet. And so I'll be referring to him as Saul throughout uh, the sermon. Uh, but two weeks ago, we saw how God opened Saul's eyes for his need for Jesus. And, and now, because of that, what we see, Saul is a completely, radically changed man. In fact, we see that in his message has radically changed. Now he's talking about Jesus. We can see that his reasoning is radically different than now he's saying, if you want to be saved, if you want to have salvation, if you want to have good standing with God, you've got to know the son of God. You've got to be reconciled to God through this Jesus. And then even his tone is different. Before, whoever he was against, he went on murderous rampages. But now he's just, he's debating, but his tone isn't so murderous. So what changed? What has changed in Saul? Well, what's changed is the object of his faith. What Saul is putting his faith 
in, what he's trusting in for salvation, for his identity, for his for life. See, Saul had been religious. In fact, you could say that Saul was like the religious guy. He says this in Philippians. He said, uh, talking, describing himself before he came to Christ, says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But see, what Paul realized was that being religious wasn't enough because his faith was in the wrong thing. Let me illustrate this. If you guys remember uh, Titanic, uh, some of you are old enough to remember the movie, uh, some of you aren't, but on the Titanic, uh, Titanic was supposed to be the greatest ship ever built. Uh, completely unsinkable was how it was described. And, and so all these folks get onto the Titanic, it's on its maiden voyage, and everyone has a ton of faith in this ship. Uh, it's, uh, because of the, uh, the way it's been built and the size of it, that there's no way that this ship could ever go down. They have a great faith in it. Such great faith in that ship that when it is struck, when it hits an iceberg and it actually begins to take on water, even when it's beginning to kind of tilt and actually go underwater, there are still people walking around on the deck saying, it's good, it's good, it's fine. I, and so you got like the Monopoly guy walking around, the band, the guys playing the violin, everyone is good, everyone's confident. See, because they have a great faith the object of their faith is a ship, and they have great faith in the Titanic. The problem was, the object of their faith sunk. They had faith that can move mountains. They, they had faith that, uh, that no one could undercut. There were no doubts, but the object of their faith still sunk. See, if you contrast this with, I, I hate... Uh, open water. I'm, I'm horribly, I'm terrified of open water. So I hate being on ships. So if you put me on a ship and you were to send me out into the ocean, I would have about the faith of, the faith of a mustard seed, to put it in biblical language. And I would cling to the middle of that ship and I would just the whole time expect like, I'm on this ship and I trust this ship. But at the same time, the whole time I'm thinking it's gonna go down. But if that ship is strong enough and it doesn't go down, it doesn't matter the strength of my faith if the object of my faith is strong enough to make it to the other side. See, and what Paul realized was he was a man who was full of faith. He had faith in his faith. He had zeal. He had passion. He had these things. But the object of his faith, religious rules, his, his uh, sense of racial superiority, his religious heritage, those things were not enough, he realized, to ultimately bring him to the other side, to bring him home. And this is why then, same in the next, very next verse in Philippians 3 that I just read from, he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I realize that if my faith is in Christ, then he is strong enough to carry me home, to carry me to the other side. Whereas before he feared not being zealous enough, Jewish enough, righteous enough, now he fears God because he knows God is the only one who can truly save him. And bring him to the other side and satisfy him. Just like you would fear being in the middle of an ocean without a boat. And that is why Paul is fearless before anything or anyone else. 
This is why he can walk into the middle of the synagogue and he can proclaim Jesus knowing that everyone will hate him and everyone will turn against him. Because at the end of the day, he fears God more than he fears man. He fears losing Christ. He knows how strong he is. And so his faith is completely and utterly in Christ. See, what we fear reveals what our trust is ultimately in. If we fear and trust ultimately in our intellect or being right, then we'll fear being wrong. We'll resort to things like character assassination in order to feel better about ourselves. If we ultimately trust in our careers or success, our lives will be driven by a fear of failure. And we'll cut any corners we can to succeed in advance. If we trust ultimately in affection of a person, we'll fear losing them. And you'll compromise your boundaries and lose yourself in the process of trying to gain them. See, you will fear something or someone because you will have to trust in something to save you and bring you to the other side. So ask yourself, is my life lacking peace because I am trusting in the wrong things? Am I trusting ultimately in a sinking ship? Is what my life is built on, is what my faith is in, is the object of my faith something that sinks? See, but Saul doesn't just walk in the fear of the Lord. He also walks in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So comfort of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 23 through 24. It says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Now, don't miss this. These are Saul's buddies. These are Saul's friends. These are Saul's Twitter followers, right? These are the people who just a little bit ago were following him, who were fanboys of him. And now they're completely turning on him. The life he built is gone because of his faith in and his boldness for Jesus. And not only that, any sense of grandiosity that Saul had is completely obliterated at this point. Remember, he was well known, he was praised, he was beloved. And now he has to run away in humiliation. Look at verse 25. It says, But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall lowering him in a basket. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine having to tell that story? Can you imagine that the story of, I mean, if somebody asks how successful was it when you went to Damascus and you, you came and you have this, this new belief system, this new worldview, and you go and you're, you're debating and you're Saul who has always won these debates, who's always been able to overwhelm people with intellectual arguments and debating from scripture. And now he's going in and he's run out of town. Now he has to run away. Now he probably has to have a couple of ladies letting him down by an Easter basket out of the side of a building. You can imagine how humiliating this is. Okay, I would want to be able to brag that even on my way out, like it'd be some, I'd probably tell a story like some kind of Rambo scene where I'd be running out and then I'd be launching grenades as I ran away. Uh, but something to make me look better. But he says, no, I had to run away and be lowered in the middle of the night by a basket of a wall in the city. And I think that internal psychological sense of rejection often can be just as worse, if not worse, than the actual physical threat that he was facing. 
And it's interesting because right after this scene, before the next one, before verse 26, there's actually going to be a break of about three years. This is what I mean. Uh, The timing that happens in this text, it doesn't say it in Acts, but in Galatians, Paul gives us a timeline of how these events occur. And listen to this timeline from Galatians 1. He says, I did not immediately, he's talking about right after he comes to Christ, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. That's actually between verses 22 and 23. So when it says in verse 23, when many days had passed, this is because Paul had been in Damascus. He went up into Arabia. He shares the gospel there. And then after many days, he comes back to Damascus and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. We're going to see in verse, 25, in verse 26 that Paul is in Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So here's why I bring this up. For three years, Saul's a man. He's a man without a clan. He's a man without a home. Everyone rejects him. This man who had been on top of the world now is a man who's completely rejected by everyone. The world rejects him and his people, own people, are suspicious of him. And three years probably wrestling with this new reality. That the life he had built, I guess you could, to use the analogy from before, the ship he had spent his life constructing had sunk. And you can imagine Saul re-running the tape of what happened as he's gone in those three years. You can imagine him wondering what has happened here and wondering where do I go from here? So where does he turn to? Well, I can imagine as he was replaying the tape, he's also going back and replaying the tape of when he came to Christ. And this is the last, these are the words, the last words in Saul's conversion. It says this, and laying his hands on him, when when Ananias laid hands on Saul and prayed for him, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Saul had discovered he had a comfort. If you can imagine during those three years, he's wrestling with who am I now and what am I supposed to do with my life and everything is gone and everyone has rejected me. Imagine he's wondering, what do I build my life on? What do I find security in? What do I find comfort in? And what he discovers is he discovers the Holy Spirit. That he can have a greater comfort, far greater than the comfort of the adulation of crowds. He knew he had a comforter also who would never abandon him, even when everyone else rejected him and abandoned him. Because this is the same Holy Spirit who did not abandon Christ and all the world turned on him. This is why Jesus said this to his disciples when he promised them the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine probably Paul during this time is wrestling with passages like this, just like often in our lives when we go through seasons of rejection, seasons of wondering, where's my life going? He comes to this passage from John 14 when Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
See, like Saul, when we follow Jesus, we too will experience a sense of loss of whatever we've built our identity on before. But that, Saul says years later, is exactly when he discovered how sufficient Jesus is. When he discovered just how strong the ship that he had made the object of his face that he, that he put his trust into. This is what Saul says years later. He's reflecting on this whole basket episode. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes about precisely that moment when he was let down in the basket. And he says this, at Damascus, the governor under King, uh, or the governor under King Artus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I let down, was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. And Paul's going to go on to talk about essentially how humiliating this is, how much it just demonstrates weakness and he doesn't have anything to boast in. And then he comes to this line. He sums it up by saying, but he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what Saul is saying is it is exactly when he gave up his notions of grandiosity exactly when he kept looking to himself and to others for that sense of approval, for that sense, that foundation in his life, a sense that he could jump high enough, that he could run fast enough. It's exactly when he came to the end of himself that he came to the beginning of actually experiencing the power of God in Christ. See, what Paul learned through this experience is that instead of finding comfort in what he could do, he could find comfort and the spirit who reminded him of what Jesus had done and would do through him. And so let me ask, because you can imagine the early church. They've seen how Paul fears the Lord, and that's making them rethink what they fear and if they fear the Lord. And also as they see Paul and his example and how he's finding this comfort in the Holy Spirit, and as we'll see in a moment, doesn't seem to find comfort from anyone around him. He just finds comfort in Jesus had to force them to ask the question, where do I turn to for comfort? For that sense of being enough. Listen, do you, do you embellish the past? Do you go back over those failures, those embarrassing moments, those things when you, you just feel like you fell short and cover them up, re-narrate them? as an attempt to try to keep some narrative about yourself going? Don't rob yourself of the comfort of God's spirit by seeking comfort in other things or grand notions of yourself. Cry to him, go to him. He is your helper and he will draw near by the Spirit, and bring truth and comfort. And listen, when we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of his Spirit, our lives begin to actually proclaim something, a hope worth having. And that leads to a church that multiplies and grows in healthy ways. Because what we multiply won't be some religious club. What we multiply just won't be some Lifestyle entrepreneurship, we, what we multiply will be a relationship with a God who really does save us to something better. So walk in the fear of the Lord and walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, that will equal healthy 
multiplication. Look at verse 26 when it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So once again, Saul returns after three years of going through this wrestling with who God is and, and who, where his life really now resides and where his life is going. And now, and he's found this comfort in the Holy Spirit and he comes back to Jerusalem and even his own people are suspicious of him. Even they reject him. Yet Saul's message doesn't change at all. It doesn't really Seems like he tries to gain their acceptance. In verse 27, Barnabas is going to come in and Barnabas is going to uh, share with them how Paul's uh, somebody that they can trust. But Paul just keeps, verse 20, 28 says, going in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. See, Paul doesn't even talk that much about himself. He just talks about Jesus. Why does he do that? Because Jesus is his life. Jesus is his everything. He knows that his life is in Christ and that is what is going to carry him through. At this point, Paul is completely sees himself as, he says in the words of John the Baptist, I've decreased so that he might increase. See, Paul isn't all that invested anymore in his biography, but he wants to testify to who Christ is and what Christ has done. Because biography See, this is the difference between biography and a testimony. Biography tells of what we've accomplished and what we can do. But a testimony tells of what Christ has done in us and what he can do through us. And through years of trusting God in, day in and day out, Saul has experienced how good Jesus is. I can't help but testify to that. And that revolutionizes the church. Because probably while they have been taught these things, well, they had probably been taught to fear the Lord. Well, they had probably been taught to find comfort in the Holy Spirit. They hadn't caught them. They hadn't caught these realities until they saw them and how Saul lived. A man who didn't boast in his strength, but in his weakness and his need for Jesus. That's why in verse 31, it says, so. It transitions to so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. So, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. See, this is the result of everything that has just come before. The result of observing Paul's life, the result of seeing his example. The result of seeing a life so utterly transformed by Christ that now the church is completely and totally transformed. And not only transformed, but also able to transform the world around them because they're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I, I believe that the Lord wants to use each and every one of us in that same way, to bring peace to others through the life of Christ, to build others up through the grace of God at work in you. Do you realize that God loves to take broken people like you, like me, like Saul, and completely and totally change the world through you. He puts his power on display through weakness. And imagine if we let God do that in each and every one of us. Anthem would be a radically different place. It would be a healthy place where healthy multiplication happens. See, the way we reach the 1% 
of Columbia. Will we help 1% of Columbia know, love, and obey Jesus Christ? Won't be through slick shows or techniques or marketing campaigns, but lives that point beyond to someone greater. Flawed yet redeemed lives, guided by a greater fear. Broken yet satisfied lives filled with a deeper comfort because our faith is in one who will carry us home. Let's pray. Lord, help us to fear you above all other pretenders to the throne. Because only in Jesus is what we are looking for found. Jesus, thank you for emptying yourself, becoming weak, and dying the death we deserve so that we might experience the power of your resurrection. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would draw near and comfort us. Point us to Christ and his sufficiency for all our needs and our longings. And Lord, make us a people who glorify you by boasting in our weaknesses and our strong Savior. It is in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.